1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Welcome to Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You know, the question, is religion valid? is a very good one today as we uh, wonder about what really is spirituality. There's so many people talking about whether or not organized religion is something they really want to participate in. And so today we're talking with Rabbi Rami Shapiro, or Rabbi Rami as he's affectionately known. He's an award-winning storyteller, author, poet, professor, and essayist, as well as the director of the Simply Jewish Foundation. He's authored several books, including Minion, Hasidic Tales, The Wisdom of Solomon, Open Secrets, The Sacred Art of Loving-Kindness, The Divine Feminine, Recovery, The Sacred Art, and Out in the Fall, The Angelic Way. He writes a column for Spirituality and Health magazine called Roadside Assistance for the Spiritual Traveler and teaches interspiritual courses at the Spiritual Paths Institute. Rabbi Rami is considered one of the most creative voices in contemporary Jewish spirituality. But He's also working on a documentary film called Holy Rascals which tells the story of his own journey into deeper spirituality, which allows him to blend beliefs from several different world religions with those of his own Judaism. Welcome, Rabbi Wami. Thank you again for coming to the show today.
3: Oh, I love being here, Andrea. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, oh, we enjoy having you. You know, you wrote a blog uh, that um, in the the uh, Spirituality and Health Magazine, to answer a question about religion. And I want to talk with you about that today because I think you're somebody that has really, you are really knowledgeable about religion, and that's why I chose you as the source. So, you know, in your article, you in your response to the question that was asked, you said something about, that the pro- you said that the problem with religion today is that it's lost its imaginative capacity and its poetic soul. Can you say something about that to us?
3: Yeah, I'm always impressed when I say something I still agree with. (laughs) That's a good start. Well, good.
2: I'm glad I caught on one you agreed with. Yeah.
3: No, I think it's true. I think that religion has become, in the minds of so many people, uh, a literalist uh, adventure. In other words, we look at the Bible or whatever sacred text, but let's just stick with the Bible. We look at the Bible in the most superficial surface manner. And we say, well, it means what it says, as opposed to looking at it more deeply and saying, you know, it's talking in the language of myth and imagination and parable. And it doesn't mean literally what it says. It, the, the meaning is much deeper than that. When you know, Shakespeare says, my love is like a red, red rose, he doesn't mean his girlfriend has thorns. Right? <laughs> it's a metaphor and he's trying to tell us something about love by comparing it to a rose. In the Bible, it's the same thing. When we talk about, you know, 90-year-old women giving birth to babies or virgins having babies, science would tell us that this is not a fact. So then many of us run, well, it's a miracle. That's all it is. It's a miracle. But that just means, well, to me, that means nothing. Uh, Rather, the question I have when I read something like that, that a 90-year-old or a virgin gives birth, the question I ask is, what is the Bible trying to tell me about this birth? And I think it's a metaphor or a myth that's telling me that the, the person that's coming from this birth is somehow magical, unique, mystical, unprecedented, because the birth is so uh, surprising. So the person is surprising. But to think that it's literally uh, a 90-year-old gives birth, it just makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. So when we lose our imaginative faculties and we reduce the Bible to science, which is just a terrible thing to do, when when we take the text literally, we've missed the meaning, we've lost it. And then we end up forcing ourselves to believe in things that in our heart of hearts we know aren't true. And so in order to avoid having to face falsehood of these silly ideas that we're holding because we misread the text, we get very angry and very defensive and, to me, very frightening, and we go on tirades just to keep uh, ourselves together, as opposed to saying, well, maybe you have a point. Maybe it's not to be read literally. Maybe it is a mythic text, and the magic of it and the meaning of it comes out when I play with it imaginatively, asking, what does it mean? and not getting hung up on the literalness of what it says. And I think that's what's happening to religion, all, so many religions all around the globe. It's becoming so literal that the meaning of it is being lost.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, there's a theory that fundamentalism is, is, uh, has to do with fear of modernism, and I wonder how that factors into what you've just said about lack of imagination. Do you have any ideas about that?
3: Well... You know, I mean, modernism is, is something to be feared, <laughs> in a sense, because, you know, the, the, the modern mindset is there is no truth. You know, that, that uh, everything is relative, which really doesn't mean anything. Cause it has to be relative to something that's absolute in order for something to be relative. But there is no absolute in the modernist mindset. And so it, it's a frightening thing. Because, well, then there's nothing to stand on. There's nothing to believe in. And that is frightening. And that is something to be, I mean, that is something to be feared. Because then where do I, you know, where are my moorings? So, yeah, I suppose you could say fundamentalism is a reaction to that. But not, not in a way that demeans fundamentalism. I, I think that's a cheap shot. Yeah, that, I agree I'm with that. I'm that's no, what you meant, But I'm saying that that a fundamentalist is someone who says, look, I need a place to, to stand on. And modernist thinking doesn't provide it. Mm-hmm. And postmodern thinking is probably even more frightening. But my own sense of it is, is that reality is reality. And the reality is there is no place to stand. That, that um, we don't know anything for certain. And it's living with that uncertainty that makes life... Exciting, yeah. Dangerous, frightening, harrowing. Sometimes, but also glorious and wondrous and an amazing experience. If you really knew what was going on, we would be bored out of our minds. It's like you know, watching you know, law and law and order. You know, the characters change There's so many different versions of it. You basically know what's going to happen, and for some people, that's great because you always know almost always the good guys kind of win. you always know how it's going to work out and you know that they're going to solve the problem before the final commercial. And for some of us, that's very comforting. And I do enjoy watching that kind of show, probably for that reason. It gives me a sense of security. But life isn't like that. And in most cases, I, you know, people die without really knowing. You know, the commercials end, the show ends, and you still haven't got a clue and that's why reality is so much more interesting than, than television uh, or, or religion, because religion tries to give you the answers, and I think that the truth is that there are no answers, and that the best of religion or the best of spirituality is teaching us to learn how to live with love and grace and curiosity without answers, just learning how to live the questions.
2: Yeah, and that speaks to something, one of the theories that I have, and that is that you know, the more profoundly aware we are that life is uncertain, the more we want to hold on to some kind of fundamental platform. Do you yeah. Agree with that?
3: Right. absolutely. And, and I don't, again, I don't uh, knock anyone who's doing that. I certainly mm-hmm. understand it, but I, I think if if you're going to look in the Bible or a book that really speaks to this, I think the Book of Job is the place to look. Mm-hmm. Because in the Book of Job, you have this totally decent guy. Who gets his life and his health you know, absolutely mangled, and his children are murdered, and uh, or you know his livelihood is taken away from him, all by God, uh, to prove a bet that the guy will will you know love God regardless of what God does to him. But taking that part of it aside, putting that part of it aside, you have a story of a real you know it's a myth obviously it's a parable, but a story of of real people whose lives are always a jumble and who go through terrible tragedies and want to know why. Everyone wants to know why. And in the story of the book of Job, his four friends come and they try to blame him for everything because they have a they want a place to stand and the place they stand is God is good, Job is bad, and that's why Job's being punished. But in the end of the story you find out that God is not good or bad, that God transcends all of these human labels. And it's God's a whirlwind. God is chaos. And Job finally realizes that you have to learn to navigate the chaos. And there is no why to things. There's just what happens. And you have to be able to live in that radical unknowing with a sense of grace. And his friends couldn't do it. They were the fundamentalists, if that's the term we're going to use. They were looking for some place to stand. And Job learned, in the end of the book, I think Job learned, that there is no place to stand. We are in what I call... Free fall. There's just no place. no net. There's nothing to hang on to, and it's scary at first. But I think what happens when you realize you're in this state—that the panic that happens in the beginning when you realize you're in this state of free fall—that you imagine there's a bottom and you're going to hit it, and you're going to be creamed when you hit it. <laughs> but the fact is, it's infinite. There is no bottom. And then you realize, hey, nothing's actually happening. here. I'm not, I'm not dying from this. Is there a way to live this radical freefall, this divine freefall? And that's where grace comes in. And then I think as soon as you surrender or better, as soon as you are surrendered to the reality of this living without a net uh, in divine freefall, that you understand that that there is a way to live this this reality. And you find out for yourself what it is. And it's you know, it's nothing surprising. I mean, it's love, it's justice, it's compassion. Those are the things that we can live without having any answers and knowing that we're going to die and that we might die in the next minute. You know, we don't know. And without that knowing, we can still live with, you know, a deep, deep sense of, of love. And I think that's what Job learns, and that's what we have to learn. And you know, owed, we owe the Bible and the religions that keep the Bible alive for that text if it weren't for... Um, uh, the book of Job being sacred within Judaism and Christianity, we never would have this story, and I think we would be much poorer without it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I tell people that's one of my favorite books in the Bible, they go, yeah, but why would you want to know about that suffering? I don't want to talk about that.
3: <laughs> oh, no, that's right. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I want been. to go, and, and you know what? It doesn't matter if you're religious or if you're New Age or, or what? We, none of us want to deal with that.
2: That's right. Aspect. That's right. Okay, we're going to talk some more about this idea of religion and its validity when we come back after the break.
0: Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I
4: begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance. To expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
0: When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, Reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes... Hundreds of endangered animals killing thousands of plant species, some of which may contain vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops.
4: Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more.
0: This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension... 7th Wave Network.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's one 866 472 472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: We're back. Today we're talking to Rabbi Rami Shapiro with regard to the question of the validity of religion. And and uh, a lot of us are asking questions about the, about the validity of religion right now. You know, we started out talking about uh, imaginative capacity and poetic soul in religion, and we sort of morphed into the whole idea of fundamentalism and the fear that comes with um, wanting to have certainty. And I guess I want to go back to imaginative capacity for just a second and talk about beyond just how we interpret our sacred texts, what does imagination do for us in terms of our spirituality, in terms of our connection to something divine?
3: Well that's a great question i I, um, I don't know if anyone ever asked me that before, but I think it's really crucial you know what is the imaginative faculty? you know we can imagine things that are that are positive and negative, so i don't want to paint it just one with one uh, kind of brush, but imagination helps us i mean just take it as it is to reimagine reality to and if reality is what we make it, and it is to that to some extent, you know, imagination allows us to um, reinvent ourselves, to reinvent our situation, to see ourselves in a different light and then work toward that. I- I'm not of the mindset of the secret that sort of says if you think it, it will come, but I think you can't work towards something if you don't first imagine what it is you're trying to achieve. So imagination, in that sense, is really important. But then I think there's another kind of imagination that you might use in, in the communion analysis, active imagination, where you really enter into a dream and try to uh, playfully see where that dream text takes you. I think the same can be done with religion, and, and it is in, in, in things like Lectio Divina, where you really enter into that text. But, um, you know, pick a favorite Bible text and put yourself in the text as the characters and see where the story takes you and allowing your imagination to flow freely, don't, don't edit it, and see what, what you discover when you enter into the story that way. What would it be like if you were standing at um, Jesus' feet or sitting at Jesus' feet when he gives the Sermon on the Mount? What, what might you have heard right now if you were doing it and he says, knock and it will be open to you. Given where you are in your life right now, imagine if you, he were standing there and he said that, where would you knock? What might be open to you? You know, that kind, of, that kind of imaginative play. I think religion is, to a great degree, all about imagination. If you look at the prophets and the visions that they've had, you know, Ezekiel, uh, his vision of the divine chariot, that's an act of imagination. Mm-hmm. He's this you know creature with four heads or four faces. And what does that mean that it has an eagle face and a lion's face? You mm-hmm. know, what 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 is he seeing? What is he trying to to convey to us? Putting ourselves in that imaginative state and imagining that happening to us and then saying, All right, so what does the human face mean to me? What does the eagle face mean? I don't know if I'm being very clear, but I think... Oh, yeah,
2: that's perfect, because, you know, I think
3: one,
2: one of the things that is so true is that is that personal guidance comes from that kind of um, dialogue, so to speak, with with uh, our own imagination so that we can put that into our reality and go, okay, now, you said, one of the things that you said was, uh, you know, what would you do? What would you knock on if you were at the feet of Jesus And I'm hearing our listeners' imaginations going, oh, well, I'd knock on that door, that job I want, or I'd knock on that, you know. And that's a way of gaining some personal guidance. Okay, what would I do to knock on that door? You could take that, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that is very important. And the whole idea you said reinventing ourselves, I also think we can invent our God (laughs) in that sense. And I don't mean there's not an absolute God. I mean that... We have to have, we come to that with all kinds of preconceptions and that.
3: Absolutely, yeah. You know, in the, in the Jewish religion, we always say the, the, the phrase we use is, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, in contemporary religion, we would add the, the matriarchs, you know, the God of Sarah, et cetera. But the, the rabbis asked thousands of years ago, you know, why do we say that? Why don't we just say God? Why do we have to say God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob? And their answer is because Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob each experienced God or each imagined God in his own way. And we do the same thing. We're reminding ourselves that if God is infinite, then there is no one way to understand God. Similarly, in the prophet Micah in chapter uh, 6, verse 8, where God tells us what God wants and God says... um, through Micah, Micah says that God wants us to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And again, the rabbis ask the question: Why does Micah say your God? Why does Micah say walk humbly with God? And their answer is that you can't walk with God um, because you don't know what that is. It's God is infinite. You you have to. You only get a piece, the peace that you can handle, the peace that you can imagine envision. And you have to re- realize that it's just your, your personal understanding and you have, to be, you have to walk humbly with that and not pretend that your slice of, of the divine insight is in fact the whole thing, which is why religions battle all the time because they don't have that humility. Mm-hmm. They think that their little piece of, of insight into the divine is all there is. And, and that's you know, part of the, the idiocy of... Of, um, religion as, as humans have created it. But being humble about our understandings of God is, is really crucial.
2: Yeah, and I, I think in order to be humble, it has to be very, very personal. Don't you?
3: Yeah, well, if God isn't personal, what's the point, I guess? It's no, I mean, my experience of, of God is incredibly personal. I don't think God is a person, but my relationship with God is highly personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I, I, I don't can't see why I would bother with God if it, if it weren't personal, other than just sort of an academic exercise.
2: Well, yeah, and I think that that is one of the things that I, I'm concerned about with religion, is that, and that I hear so many people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a part of organized religion, because what they hear is there's a stagnant, static version of God and religion and what that means, and there's not much room for finding your own personal peace in there.
3: Yeah, I don't know if that's true, okay. but I think that's what people hear.
2: Yeah.
3: I think, I think there's, there's, you know, I think the latest statistic is 50 million Americans identify themselves as spiritual but not religious, and I, I have no problem with that label at all. I, I, I can't say I can define it for all 50 million, right? I think every person who claims to be spiritual but not religious has her own take on what that means. But one of the reasons that that it's becoming so popular is because religions seem to be so foolish. When, you know, there's that wonderful Indian proverb about the blind men and the elephant. Oh, the the six blind men feeling this elephant for the first time, trying to define what an elephant is. And each one has a different part of the elephant's body, and so they define it according to the part they have. So the person with, on the side thinks it's like a wall, and the person with a leg says, no, it's not a wall, it's a pillar. And the person with a trunk says, no, it's like a python. You know, everyone's got their own mm-hmm. their own vision of what this is. And none of them realize that you have to put all of these things together, and then you get an idea of what an elephant is. But it's still not the full elephant. And the world's religions ought to be doing that. They ought to be saying, look, we each have a piece, and if we could share our insights rather than use them as clubs, but actually share their, our insights with one another, we might have a deeper understanding of what the divine is. But we've divided it up in these little closed clubs, and, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with money, power, and control. I think everything humans do tends to go toward money, power, and control. And there's no money in a religion that says, well, I only have a piece of the there's truth. No, there's no way I can control you I tell you that I only know a little bit, so the humility works against the organized religious endeavor, and and so we say, no, this is the truth, this is the absolute truth, and if you don't believe it, you've, you're really making a terrible mistake, and those who don't believe it are all going to hell or whatever the you know the equivalent thing is in whatever tradition we're talking about, and that's just silliness on the part of humans. It has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with truth, nothing to do with reality. It's just games that people invent for themselves in order to make, well, back to where we started, in order to make themselves feel safe and secure. And one of the ways you know you feel most safe and most secure is you can point to other people who you're sure are going to go to hell because your sense of of safety depends on there being somebody you can point to and say, but that one, that one's going to hell. There's I forgot what church father said this, I don't know if it's Augustine or one of them said that periodically God allows the saints in heaven to peer over uh, so they can see the suffering in hell. Now, why would they want to do that? The only reason is so they can feel good about being in heaven. So that's a very revealing little myth that people need the suffering of others to feel okay about themselves. I mean, that's a very low level of functioning on the part of humans. But religion caters to that, and and that's one of the things that drives me crazy with religion.
2: Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to talk some more about the validity of religion when we come back after the break. This is Andrea Matthews. This is Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network.
4: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kinda like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay,
3: but how? Just I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh oh! There you go.
1: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
4: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve too. That's how it works these self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit a-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love.
1: What can you tell me about Skills USA?
0: Skills
4: USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is gonna look awesome.
0: Well it's important to know your
3: technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people.
1: The web at skillsusa.org.
0: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
2: We're back. Today we're talking with Rabbi Rami Shapiro about the question about the validity of religion. And we've talked a lot about the soul of religion and and, uh, the imagination, the imaginative capacity uh, and what that does for us. I want to talk more of a a collective uh, idea about it now. Uh, You mentioned in the article that you wrote for Spirituality and Health magazine that creationism and intelligent design were hallmarks of a failed religion. Can you say some more about that?
3: Yeah. What I what I'm, have in mind when I say something like that is that creationists are literalists. And a literalist understanding of religion is leaves you with a failed religion, a religion that has no imagination, no soul, nothing but really flat-lined, one-dimensional uh, ideology and that's not what religion is about i'll I'll pick up intelligent design in a second but but creationism is this literalism and the the odd thing about it is it takes science in a sense both this is true for both id and creationism it takes science too seriously it it says okay science is the real standard and so i've got to make my religion scientific and there are at least two ways of doing that, but one is creationism, and the other would be intelligent design. So the creationist says, no, my religion is, is as scientific as their religion. And so they create a museum like the Discovery Museum in, uh, I think it's Kentucky, where you have the dioramas, where you have little cave boys and little cave girls next to dinosaurs. And the idea is, well, they were all created in the first week, because that's what Genesis tells us. But that is such bad science. There's just no way anyone who takes science at all seriously can accept that premise. So they've taken the Bible, which has nothing to do with dinosaurs, and everything to do with paradise, and reduced this whole parable about Adam and Eve in paradise It was silly diorama with Adam and Eve and a Tyrannosaurus Rex in paradise. I don't know if I'm making this clear, but it makes no sense. It shows a total lack of imagination and a total lack of courage in the deeper meaning of their spiritual, of their religious tradition. And so they turn it into bad science. Intelligent design is a little more creative, but I think makes a similar mistake. That intelligent design wants to say, that evolution is okay, but there's a force behind it. Well, I I don't have a problem with that. I I think that, in a sense, it's irrelevant. We're going to say that that the world is still evolved, but that there are levels of complexity that could not evolve without the help of a designer. From a scientific point of view, I mean, I know scientists will get all upset about that, but from a scientific point of view, I would say, okay, so what? Then I still have to learn how the thing works. And I still have to figure out how it's got to be what it is. And if I ultimately come up with a, a designer, well, fine. But it's, it's really irrelevant. The designer in ID is irrelevant because the world that I'm studying doesn't uncover the designer, it just shows me the reality of nature, and then I posit a designer. Well, what, what I don't like about that idea is is that it assumes, just like materialist science assumes, that nature itself is stupid. It's, it's uh, you know, the intelligent designer is not in nature itself. Intelligent designers outside of nature. In scientific thinking, you know, classic materialist Darwinist thinking, there is no designer. The world happens over billions of years through trial and error, and it's, a, it's an accident that these things happen. I don't mean an accident like suddenly there's like a car put together. It would be an accident. Obviously, that can't happen. An accident in the sense that there is no one behind it saying, I want to try this, Uh, didn't work, let me try that, that didn't work, let me try this, oh, this works. It's just that all things are tried over the course of time, and what works survives, and what doesn't work dies out, Mm -hmm. more or less. I find both of them painfully dull because it, it says that life is stupid, that life is dumb. I don't experience it that way at all. I think that life is the intelligence that when we study nature, we're studying, I mean this metaphorically, but we're studying God's body, that my body, your body, the trees, the plants, the the universe itself is the divine manifestation in the range of experience that humans can experience, and that it is intelligent, and that given enough time through its own uh, evolutionary mechanism, the universe creates beings and, and our planet's case, beings like you and I, who can look at it and marvel at the absolute wonder of it, and rare beings among us humans who can realize that it's all God, not as an intellectual idea like I say, but someone like Ramana Maharshi, the great Hindu saint, who realizes that it's all God, palpably realizes it, not just as an idea, but really realizes it. That is the, the... Oh, I guess the, the way, the, the direction in which evolution happens, it happens in the direction of enlightened beings, that eventually the universe becomes aware of itself as God's body. It is intrinsically intelligent. So I don't like creationism because it's bad science. And I don't like intelligent design or the, the classic materialist Darwinist thinking because they both reduce life to being stupid. And I don't think it's stupid, I think it's intrinsically intelligent. The universe itself is God's body and manifests as such. Well, I don't know I was, how much sense that made, but
2: yeah, it was beautiful you, you and, asked and me. you know I think that that whole idea that we you know that the universe itself is the <clears throat> excuse me the intelligence is Somehow threatening, and I'm not ex- sure exactly how. I guess because of the certainty that you know, if there's a God outside of me, that's not in me, that's not part of me, then I'm responsible in my behavior, but I'm not necessarily responsible, responsive, you know, to that beingness. I don't know, but it, but it's an, a very interesting and beautiful idea.
3: That also, yeah, I think there, you know, there is this dualistic notion that God is out there somewhere. And the universe, and humans in particular, are artifacts that God creates, like a potter creates a pot. And you get that impression from the book of Genesis. But I don't think that's an accurate understanding of how it works at all. And I think that you need a, we need a different metaphor. So, for example, when we read in Genesis that God takes, creates Adam, the Hebrew word for humanity, the Bible makes it sound like it's an individual male person but the Hebrew actually means humanity, that God takes humanity from the, the, the earth. Um, I think the idea there is that we are organic to nature, to this planet. We come out of the planet. We're not plopped on top of it. Like God just says, let us make man, and bam, there we are, like, like in the first chapter. I think the, the truer story is the second chapter, where the parable or the metaphor is, is that the earth becomes conscious. God forms from the earth, you know, the shape of the human, and then breathes consciousness into it. That, to me, makes, you know, metaphorically speaking, makes total sense that we are the earth, become conscious. This, a similar metaphor, or a metaphor with a similar meaning, uh, comes from Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Well, that's the same idea, that we are, that, that there's this, I would say, you know, God is the root if you want, and Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, however you want to look at it. It's an organic metaphor. There's, there's no branch without vine. There's no vine without root. It's all one integrated holistic system, and that our relationship to the divine is like a branch to the, the, uh, to the vine or like a wave to the ocean. You know, it, it's, it's unbroken. It's not dualistic. We are just like just like branches of the way trees manifest. We are the way God manifests, along with cockroaches and everything else on the planet.
2: Right, right, okay, all right. Well, that that's a very clear explanation that that makes a whole lot of sense. That says that the the, the this idea of creation creationism and intelligent design really lack a kind of. Metaphorical life, not even metaphorical life energy. They lack a life energy.
3: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so when it comes to organized religion, you've said that organized religion is at a crossroads. Do you think we're going to make it? Where are we?
3: Well, when you say "we," you're talking about organized religion, or talking about humanity?
2: <laughs> well, let me go back to organized religion. Yeah, I, I did ask that badly. Organized religion is organized religion as at it. Well, not as it is today. Is organized religion going to make it?
3: Yeah, I, I think it has such a long history. It seems to be part of our nature to to have religious insights and then to organize around them. So I don't think religion goes away. I think that different forms of religion emerge. And we, we call Judaism, for example, we say Judaism, but there's no such thing as Judaism. There was early Abrahamic understanding of, of life, and then there was Moses' understanding, and then the prophets had a different understanding, and the rabbis had a different understanding. We we call it Judaism because they were all related, in, you know, tribally. But in fact, they were very, very different understandings. And I think the same thing is true in Christianity, that you can see different kinds of Christianity. There is no one Christianity. And, and it's true for Buddhism and Hinduism, etc., so I think that that religion is just a part of who we are, part of our psychic, uh, our, our psychological, sociological makeup. What might change is the way we do religion and the way we understand religion.
2: Okay, we're going to talk about the way we understand religion and that change right after the break. We'll be
0: back. In- Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
4: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at pornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council.
1: America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA USA can help. What is Skills USA?
4: Skills USA is life-changing.
0: Skills USA is awesome.
4: Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. Skills USA is amazing. Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates,
2: to their advisors, to other people in their states.
1: That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: Well, sadly, this is our last segment to talk with Rabbi Rami about uh, the validity of religion. And I, I want so I want to really hone in on that last question that we asked just before the break, would organized religion make it? And what you were basically saying was that organized religion or religion itself is a part of the psyche of humanity, uh, but we're also at a crossroads. So can you say some more about that?
3: Yeah, I think the crossroads, more and more, people looking at religions as isolated islands or boxes that uh, are separate from one another and have nothing to say to one another and are in competition with one another, that's going to end. I think that, that because of globalism, because of um, the Internet and, and so many other things that we could, we could talk about that just brings the conversation among diverse peoples you know, out, and we're having, we're having these interactions among people who would never uh, have an opportunity to dialogue with one another before, that we realize that we all have a piece of the truth. And so the future of religion, I think, is going to be interfaith. That it's not that we're going to squish all the religions into uh, some homogenized version of of a single faith. That would never happen. People are way too diverse to ever have one world religion. But I think that there'll be a a humbling among the religions that allows uh, people of one faith to realize they don't have the whole story. And to realize that learning about other faiths is part of what it means to be a a grown-up. I think that we need a new paradigm, a new uh, way of understanding religion. And I think one of the ways is to look at religion as language. You know, French and German and Latin and Hebrew and Arabic and Chinese, they all look at the world in different ways. And there are things you can say about love, for example, in French, that you just can't say in English. And if you want to get that nuanced understanding of love, you need to understand some French. There are things you can say about um, nature in Chinese because of the way Chinese is as an iconographic language that you can't say in languages that use uh, more abstract alphabets. So the more languages we know, the richer our understanding of reality becomes, the more nuanced our understanding of reality becomes. I think what's true of language is true of religion, that the Buddhists understand things that Judaism just doesn't get, and that Islam understands things that Buddhism doesn't get, and that the more religions I know, the more uh, rich my understanding of reality becomes. None of them has the answer, and all of them together don't have the answer, because the reality is greater than any of them. But the more we know, the more nuanced our understanding of reality is. And that's a great thing. So I think the future of religion is going to be in this interfaith realm.
2: Okay. So, you know, it's a paradox as I'm listening to you. I'm thinking the more we know about or the more expansive our vision or our hearing becomes with regard to uh, learning about other religions, the more personal our spirituality becomes.
3: Yes. And I think that's another shift that's going to happen. We need community. People are pack animals, so we're never going to do without community. But the community has got to make more room for individual spiritual experience. It's not enough that we come together and we do whatever our ritual is and then go home. I think that that's part of what religion has to offer. But in addition, and this is true historically, religion has, uh, that religion can also offer us, for those who want it, very powerful vehicles for very deep spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. Things that used to happen only in the monastery, let's say in in medieval Christianity, teachings that were only given there and practices that were only done there are now being let out of the monastery. The centering prayer comes to mind that Father Thomas Keating is is sharing with the world that here's a, a practice based on monasticism, but not for the monastic he's found a way to bring it out for the average person. And I think the same is true within all of, all of the religions. You find it in, in Islam through Sufism, where the, the power of the zikr, for example, and the chanting that Sufis do, is, is being opened up so that non-Muslims can participate and benefit from it. So religions are going to offer us our, our community of support, but also for those who want it, very deep avenues for spiritual transformation all within the context of their own faith, their own language. Mm -hmm. And the third part is, and offer us opportunities to study the other religious languages, Uh, not to convert them, but to open our own minds.
2: Right, right. Very beautifully put again. Well, I want to talk just a minute about, um, you know, your particular projects. First, I want to tell our listeners where they can learn more about you uh, at your website, which is what now?
3: It's uh, www.rabbirami.com, and Rabbi Rami is R-A-B-B-I-R-A-M-I-R-A-B-B-I-R-A-M-I.com.
2: Okay. And
3: there, great... they can go to my blogs and all the other things that I do.
2: Okay. And you are right now in the process of creating a documentary called Holy R- Rascals, and you're working on that uh, and, and trying to figure out how you want to use that. you want to say anything about that at this point?
3: Yeah, well, Holy Rascals is a look at spiritual teachers, and some within religion, some outside of organized religion, who really are moving the human consciousness toward this kind of interfaith um, Active imagination. I don't, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but these, these are the people who are pushing the envelope in science and in religion, but all in, in that large spiritual realm. And what I tried to do and what I'm trying to do is go out, we, I interview these people, and then you know, we were originally going to put together an hour documentary for public television. But my goal is to really introduce these holy rascals to people who really don't watch PBS the people who are 18 to 25-year-olds, the people I deal with at my university classes, they're not going to sit down and watch an hour of PBS. What they watch is their iPod. Uh, and now I'm shifting it over. What we're going to create is we're chopping the film up into very short YouTube-like uh, pieces that we will seed through various means into the, uh, onto the web that people can download just to meet these teachers and from all these different religious traditions and, and scientific traditions.
2: Okay, well, that sounds like a wonderful project, and I wish you the best of luck on that. And Rabbi Rami, I really appreciate, again, you being here today. You've very beautifully disclosed a very insightful approach to religion and validity. And and it was, really a, it was a
3: pleasure. It. Thank you.
2: Okay, and we're going to be back next week, and we're going to invite the body into the equation regarding authenticity uh, by talking to Alyssa Cobb. So we'll be back next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.